Welcome to FNT Bible Talk, where we're going through the Bible and showcasing God's glory through His unified story. I'm your host, Felix Birch. On this episode, we'll be talking about Genesis 1 through 18, creation, the fall of man, and the Abrahamic covenant. Hey guys, episode two of FNT Bible Talk, and today I'm joined with my beautiful bride, Becca Birch, and we are going to talk about Genesis 1 through 18. I'm very excited to be here. We're very excited to talk about our first week recap of the reading plan. So first of all, I just hope you guys enjoyed Felix's first podcast, Bible Reading Tips for the Everyday Christian. And if you haven't listened to it yet, I would suggest you go back and do that because it was very beneficial. So this is our first recap podcast. We're going to be doing these every single week. And basically, we are just going to recap what we read from the prior week. And we'll address the questions that we put in the things to think about um, section of our paper. And basically, just tie in how all of these scriptures point to Jesus. So we are very excited to begin. I know last week's reading, we covered a lot of different scriptures and a lot of different things. Um, Genesis 1 through 18 is a lot of awesome stuff. And so truthfully, with these podcast episodes, we're going to try to recap as much as we can. But we know we're not going to be able to touch on every single verse or every single chapter alone. But we want do want to give the best overview we possibly can. So with Genesis 1 through 18, we're going to start right in the beginning. I've often, and I say this a lot, and I continue to say it, is that if you get the beginning wrong, you'll get the rest of the story wrong. And that's why I think Genesis 1 through 3 is such an important part of the Bible. And it's so important that as we start off this Bible reading plan that we really dive into Genesis in the very beginning and make sure we get a proper understanding of what Genesis 1 through 3 is really trying to teach us. So Genesis 1 through 3 answers some really, really important questions. Who are we? Where are we? Why are we even here? Who made us? What's the problem? And what's the solution? And so we start with Genesis 1-1. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, right? Um, really, if we could lump a couple of these things together, because Genesis 1-3 through really answers all these questions Becca's talking about. And in particular, the first thing Genesis 1 really teaches us is that the Bible is about God. It is God's mm-hmm. story, and it introduces us to the, to the main character of it all, God himself. And that's Genesis 1 and 2. In so many ways, it, it reveals to us about God being creator. It reveals to us God, about God being all-powerful, about God being almighty, about God speaking, and all sort of things. And so the beginning of the Bible is to set us up for us to understand this is God's story. This is what the Bible is all about, is this one character, God. And the rest of the Bible is going to build and build upon this character. And we're going to come to know him and see his beauty in greater ways. So in Genesis 1.1, I'm just going to read that scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God, in this first scripture, wants us to know something very important about himself, and that is that he is a creator, which is so beautiful. And God speaks so many times throughout these first few scriptures, and we know that every time God speaks, things happen. And so God speaks here, creation. He creates so many things. He creates man. God is a giver of life. We see that constantly throughout these first few chapters. God's word isn't empty. When God says something, it's always going to be good. And he says that throughout this scripture. And what's amazing about that, too, is that even within the first chapter, the phrase God said is used 10 times. And if God's word is action, basically, is what we're saying, is that when God speaks, it is done. 
Um, and even as humans, the way we work, you know, we talk with empty words a lot of times. We mm-hmm. make promises or we say things and we don't really mean them. But God's word is never that way. Amen. Whenever God speaks, it is always certain to be true and to be intended to be acted upon by God or by whoever he speaks to. And so that should bring comfort to our lives that things that God has spoken to us, we can walk away and say, God has spoken this. It's going to happen. It's not false. It's not going to, what is going to happen? What's going to go on? We can know for a fact that it's going to happen. So the big thing that we would say with Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is that it really introduces uh, introduces us to the main character, God himself. But a second part that's really important is that it reveals to us man. And it answers who we are. And this is such an important thing for us to think about because we have to know who we are and where we come from and realize the, the people and what God created us for. So we're going to read some scriptures here in Genesis 1, 26 through 27. And it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and then have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And this is what's so beautiful about man. Man was created in God's image. And we have to understand that this is, this is a significant thing for us as humans. No other part of creation was ever created in the image of God. And what's so neat about that is it's the way that the creation account is written is as if man is the last thing that God does, as if he's the pinnacle or the greatest achievement of all of creation to God. And it just shows this great relationship that he wants with man. That man, this relationship of intimacy that only man and God can really have. Because man was created in his God's image. I, you know, people, there's a lot of debate about what does the image of God mean and everything. But to think of its simplicity, it, it really just a, if we could think about the moon and how the sun shines onto the moon and it reflects the light of the sun to the earth. And that's really, if we were just to say it in a simple way for us to understand, is that we are like a moon and God's sun and his character shines down upon us and we're to reflect him. And that's what man was created for. Man was created to reflect God's image into the earth and to fill up the earth with all kinds of things, with, with the glory of God and the name of God and a reflection of God throughout all the earth by multiplying and, and, and creating things and making a, a, a great place of the world that God had given man. And one of the beautiful things about this too is not only are we created in the image of God, but God gives man a very specific task. And because we're created in God's image, we are separate and set apart. Like Felix was talking about, we're tasked to rule. We're tasked to have dominion over all of the earth. And not only that, but it's amazing. After you see God create everything, he said that it was good. But in Genesis 1 28, when he's talking about man, it says, and God blessed them. And God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fishes of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So not only does God say that it was very good that we were created because we were, but God blesses us and gives us the power and enriches our lives to do what God has called us to do. And this is a really important theme for us to think about is this word blessed here. It says God blessed man in verse 28 and This is something that you'll see over and over again. But really what it shows us is the character of God is God desires to pour out. 
God desires to bless. It is in God's heart to bless man and to bless his people. And he does so over and over again. And from the beginning of the Bible, he reveals that to us. One of the things that we talked about and things to think about each week was what is the purpose or to think upon the purpose of God regarding the creation of man. There's two distinct things that we see in Genesis 1. Is number one, God created man to reflect him to reflect himself or to reflect the glory of God, to be an image bearer. But also he created man for relationship. It's a reflection and a relationship. And I think that relationship component really comes from the fact the way that God blessed man and then also man had with God is that God breathed into man and no other creation or any uh, any other act upon creation had that but God, but man himself. God breathing his life into him. And I, I love the some cross-referencing scriptures in, in accordance to that. In Job 32, 8, it says, It's the spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty, that makes him understand. So we have a functioning conscience because of that. And in Proverbs 27, it talks, 20, 27, it talks about that the spirit of the man is the lamp of the Lord. And because we have the breath of God breathed into us like no other creation does, we are body, soul, and spirit, and we have the ability to have a functioning conscious and have that eternal life that God gives us. And it's beautiful. So if we could wrap up just Genesis 1 and 2, which you can't really do in the <laughs> short minutes we do, you could dive into this for so much time. But truthfully, what we're saying, what we want to establish here is understanding that God created this great world, this beautiful world, and it reveals to us where we've come from, why we're here, who's in charge of it all. And he gave it to man and he gave him a task. He said, subdue it, have dominion over it, rule it, right? Mm -hmm. That was the task given to them. And if they were going to do that, they would glorify God and that they would be image bearers on the earth while completing that task. And the glory of God would go throughout all the earth. And they had this special relationship with God that no other thing in creation had because that God breathed his spirit into man. And you know, guys, this, this is so awesome because it should tell us this god gave adam and eve the earth to subdue and he basically told them live as a king live as live as rulers like this is yours to rule i'm giving you that like what a good god to bless us with that right what a, what an amazing god and then also that he would have not just that go and do these things but i want to be in relationship with you and so from the beginning of the bible we see very clearly that what we have is we have this place where God is in relationship with man and he has given man responsibility and a task to serve him. And so there's harmony between man and God and between man and woman or man and man. And we're going to talk about Genesis chapter 3, which really turns the story really fast. And I'm sure you know that from reading this, but it really changes everything very quickly. It's almost like you could kind of picture like this beautiful scene and then all of a sudden in Genesis 3, it's kind of like that bump, bump, bump. <laughs> <laughs> so God gives a command to man and um, the command is basically not to eat of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we see that in Genesis 2.17. And God tells him, if you eat of it in that day, you shall surely die. And so many of us might think, well, why was the tree there? You know, why did God even put that there? And honestly, y'all, the tree was there. It kind of revealed to Adam that God was the king, that God was the ruler of all the earth. And even though he gave Adam the power to subdue and to reign on the earth, God put that there to remind Adam, 
I'm the one in charge. You are a reflection of me, and I have given you power to subdue this earth and to reign and to rule. But ultimately, I am the I am the God of the universe, and I'm here to rule it. And so through not eating of this tree, Adam would show his trust in God and that he and that God had provided all Adam needs and God knows best. But in the end, we all know that Adam and Eve disobeyed and it would result in a curse of death. What's awesome about that too is it's not just that Adam the tree was there is all, you know, I'm tempted by it, I'm not tempted by it, but it was this he, he was basically saying, God, I'm trusting you that you know the difference between good and evil better than I ever could. Mm-hmm. And as long as he didn't eat of that, he was he was keeping his trust saying, I trust God determining what is good and evil. And I, and I don't need mm-hmm. to make that decision on my own. But we know how the story goes that in Genesis chapter 3, there comes the character, the serpent, right on the scene, right? And it's this new character that we haven't seen or heard about yet. And all of a sudden, he immediately, something's just off about him, right? And he starts tempting Eve. And we know how the story goes. And if you've read it this week, you understand that the, the serpent being Satan and, the, and it comes and he tempts Eve and Adam and Eve do the very thing God told them not to do mm-hmm. where they eat of the fruit and and this is this is exactly it changes everything in the story upside down where now man was so happy and they had the world and they were glorifying and reflecting God it changes all of this mm-hmm. yeah and it's almost like you know God gave him this command not to eat of the tree and I think of that scripture so many times where it talks about Jesus, you know, didn't count it a quality, didn't count a quality, a thing to be grasped. And y'all, Adam honestly just wanted to grasp for equality with God. And Satan came and tempted even Adam and, and basically told him, oh, well, did God really say don't eat of it? Because he knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open and you're going to have knowledge just like him. And y'all, they wanted the knowledge of God. They wanted to have that equality with God and they looked at it and grasped for it. And we ultimately know that this brought destruction and a curse. And so in Genesis 3:15, one of the most important and paramount like scriptures of the whole Bible because it really brings in the whole story of the Bible. Genesis 3:15 it says, "I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And in our questions, we asked you guys in this scripture to really consider God's response to sin and the effects it had on the human race and how it gives us hope today. And so, you know, we want to point out, God says right here that there he was going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so we know that Satan would come and he was going to bruise the heel of someone, this hoped for person that he's talking about here in this scripture. But the beautiful thing about it is that we have hope because he is talking about one that will come that will bruise the head of the serpent. And it's almost kind of like, who is this going to be? It's a foreshadowing of Christ. And it's really hopeful, even though we messed it up. We had a perfect relationship with God. We had, we were bearing the image of God and reigning and ruling, and we came and messed it up. And even though we did that. God comes and he promises one that would bruise the head of the serpent and that would ultimately bring destruction to him. But several things that 
the effects of sin on the earth that were significant too. Because Adam and Eve, when they chose, like Becca said, to disobey God, what they were deciding to say was, we want to decide what was right and evil. We want to decide, and we want to be judges of things. We mm -hmm. don't need God to tell us what to do anymore. And they weren't content with God's rule. And so they rebelled. And just like Becca said, God comes and he deals with the serpent. And he makes that promise that he will send someone and that one will come from this woman who just committed this sin, right? <laughs> yeah. There's going to be one that comes, right? And that one that comes is going to crush the head. Mm -hmm. and, and, and just for sim simple terms, I, I, and I may use this term a lot as we go through the Bible, he's the serpent crusher. I just like the way it sounds, <laughs> the serpent crusher. There's, so the rest of the story of the Bible really hinges on this, who's the serpent crusher? Who's going to be this guy? Who's going to be the one to come and crush the serpent? And it seems like the rest of the Bible, there's hopeful glances and hopeful moments that it might be this person, this person. Mm -hmm. But we ultimately know the only one who openly crushed the serpent's head was Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. That the Bible tells us that he made an open spectacle and show of principalities and powers mm -hmm. and Satan himself and, and defeated them all on the cross in his resurrection, right? And so we know Jesus is that serpent crusher. Amen. So where are we headed next? To chapters um, 4 through 11. And there's a lot that happened. And and I want to say this, that the effects of sin really took, that it took effect really fast. Mm -hmm. Sin's effect on the earth happened very fast. Immediately, just like God told them, death came into the world. Yes, they didn't die right off the back right when they ate, but they began to die. And they died over time, right? People began to die. Relationship between God and man was severed and broken. And so no longer could they commune or be together. But God had to cast them out of the garden, the very place that he made for them, so that they could be with him and know him. And not even just that, but man's relationship with each other was broken. Right? Where immediately Adam and Eve were one and everything was so beautiful and it was this marriage. Right off the back when they sin, they start blaming each other and then they have shame with each other. Right? And these things are new things that have entered in, that, that entered into the story. This had never been around, but sin brought this into the earth. And this became the curse. And this is the thing that the serpent, the, the serpent crusher was going to come and deal with these very things. And so when we move to really Genesis 4 through 11, I'm going to wrap these up really fast. And I know that some of you probably read these and saw some awesome stuff in these chapters, but I want to show you some things in it. What Genesis 4 through 11 really shows us is the downward spiral of mankind because of sin. When you think about chapter 4, what do you immediately see? Broken relationships. No longer harmony between man, um, between each other. Cain and Abel killing each other. You see in Genesis chapter 4, you see Lamech collecting wives. He's the first man to have multiple wives. And it's not like multiple wives he's in love with them. No, he rules them like a slave master. Genesis, Genesis 6 tells us that the, the seed of man or mankind had been corrupted, right? And so man is becoming more and more corrupt. And then Genesis chapter 7 says that God even has to deal with man because they're so wicked and everything they do is wicked that he wipes them off the earth, except for Noah. And Noah found grace in God's eyes. And that was God. And, and, and you could look at this and you could say, man, God just wiped away humanity. He was done with it. But what he did is he saved Noah because he was still faithful to Genesis chapter 3, fifth, verse 15. Mm -hmm. He's still faithful that I will redeem. I will bring back. Mm -hmm. I will. The serpent crusher will come. And so he saves Noah and Noah and his family come out the ark and they repopulate the earth as they're commanded to do so. 
But right away, once again, <laughs> chapter 11, mankind is doing the same things they were doing before. Mm -hmm. They're sinning again, and the downward spiral of mankind and sin has taken effect. And so we, we close chapter 11 of Genesis where they, they build the Tower of Babel. All the nations of the world, they build this tower and they challenge God and say, we will make a name great for ourselves. Mm -hmm. We will be great and we will be mighty. And God goes down there and he puts it to a shambles and he separates them and causes their languages to be confused. And so they separate. Right. But the, but the point of it was this, that these people were basically challenging God, saying, we will be great like you, just like Adam did by eating the mm -hmm. fruit. They were following in the same patterns and footsteps of their forefather, Adam. And this is what humanity does. This is human what humanity is, mm -hmm. is that they are always in open rebellion towards God. Lost people are in rebellion towards God, even if they don't think they are. This is what Scripture teaches us. But the beautiful thing is that then comes Genesis chapter 12. And Genesis chapter 12 is such a blessing. Yeah, and almost like after Genesis 11, you're kind of starting to think like, goodness, this is just getting worse and worse. I don't understand where the hope is going to come in. You know, you start lose, losing a little hope, but it's always good to bring back to remembrance Genesis 3.15 because even though man's downward spiral seems to be just getting longer and longer and longer, we get to have hope and go back to Genesis 3.15 and know that God is still going to bring that one. And so in Genesis 12, we see that the promised seed of the woman isn't lost. And so Abraham comes onto this scene, this man, well, Abram at the time, and this theme of blessing shows up again as God desires to bless this man named Abram. And this is what it says in the first three verses of chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth and all the nations shall be blessed. You know what's so amazing about this scripture to me? Is the close of chapter 11 is humanity in open rebellion towards God. Mm -hmm. Shaking their fists saying, God, we want to challenge you. We don't care about you. We want to make our name great. And then God opens chapter 12 saying, well, I'm going to take this man named Abram out. And I'm going to bless him because I want to bless the nations. Mm. And the last thing we saw the nations do was open rebellion towards God. Yeah. This is the picture of mercy. Mm. This is the picture of the character of God that even those who curse him, he loves and he desires to bless. And mm. he's going to do so through this man named Abram. And I love the character of Abram. The reason why I love him so much is because he's so relatable. Um, he has his hiccups. He has his mess ups. He has his bumps in the road. But all in all, he's a man of faith. And he's a man who perseveres and believes God's promises. And this beginning part, this first promise that God makes to Abram, where he pulls him out of the land that he was once in and says, come out of these places, come out of this and come and follow me. He tells him that I'm going to bless you. And this is where that theme of blessing comes up again, where God now enters into this relationship with Abram, where it's a relationship where he's going to bless. He's going to, in other words, he's going to enrich Abram. He's going to give him many things. He's going to promise him great works, right? And his name is going to bless all the earth and all the nations. And so it's really this, like Becca said, Abram is where the seed of the woman picks up. Where you would look at chapters 4 through 11 and say, my gosh, it seems like the serpent crusher is not coming. 
because <laughs> nobody's going to do it. And all of a sudden, God picks one man out of the people on the earth and says, I will bless through this man. And it's the grace of God at work to save humanity because God is faithful to redemption and to getting back what happened in the garden and getting back that relationship with humanity. And then in Genesis 12, you know, God gives him this promise. And, you know, if you've never read the Bible before, some of us might be thinking, well, maybe he's the one, you know, maybe he's the one that's going to crush the head of the serpent. And then we go into Genesis 12 verses 10, you know, right after God gives him this beautiful promise of blessing and blessing the nations through him. And then honestly, right when the promise is given, there's already an assault to pollute the seed of the woman. (laughs) But God continues to intervene because he's faithful to his plan of redemption. And then we'll skip to Genesis 15 because we could go into so many more details. But just to cover the highlights, in Genesis 15, God gives a beautiful covenant for a son and a seed that would come through Abram. Because just as God had said in, in chapter 12, that all the nations of the world would be blessed through Abram's seed. And so in Genesis 15, I'll just read a little bit. It says, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, your but your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And then we know after this story, as it goes into later parts of chapter 15, that God creates a covenant. And just as he brought Abram out and showed him these things, he he establishes this covenant and he cuts a covenant as they would call it back in Eastern culture. He cuts a covenant, covenant with Abram. And so he tells Abram to get a bunch of am, animals and to cut them in half and to place them on an altar. And basically Abraham, uh, Abram falls asleep. And we see that As they cut this covenant, God is the one that walks through. And in Eastern cultures, basically when two kings would cut a covenant, they would cut the animals in half, and then both of them would walk through these animals as a sign of establishing this covenant and keeping their end of the covenant. And what would happen is if one of these kings didn't keep their end of the covenant, not only would the king be killed, but his people would be punished. And so here we see that Abram falls asleep and God is the only one to walk through this. And so we see that right when God establishes his covenant, Abram doesn't walk through. And you're thinking, well, what on earth is going to happen? Like, surely Abram's going to be killed. He's going to be cut in two. But the beautiful part about this chapter is that God walks through and the covenant is still kept. And so here, y'all, it's just a beautiful picture. I love this chapter. It's probably my favorite chapter in this whole entire week of scriptures because God cuts this covenant and God declares that his covenants will always be based on his faithfulness. And we can read about this so many times throughout scripture, especially in Hebrews. In Hebrews 6, God really talks about when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore to himself saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And in the rest of Hebrews, it talks about that. But the point that we want to get across here is that God is showing him and showing us just as we do with Jesus today. We are going to fail. We are going to mess up. But God's covenant stays faithful. And what's amazing about Genesis 15 is this. I, I, I really believe that it says that Abraham, a great sleep went over him or a, a, a deep sleep. And it's a lot like the deep sleep Adam had when God took the rib out of him to create mm-hmm. Eve. 
I think it was God's mercy that he put Abram to sleep so that to prevent him from walking down the between the animals with him. Because if he would have walked down, we know Abram is a man just like us, and he would have not been able to keep his side of the bargain. Mm. And so I believe God put him in a deep sleep yeah. as an act of mercy <laughs> so that he would not have to kill Abram. Mm. Because if you honestly look at the very next chapter in chapter 16, what do you find? It's Abram, <laughs> Abram messing up again. <laughs> messing up right away is that he he received this promise from God that there would come this nation from him, and so he tries to take it in his own hands by the advice of his uh, his wife Sarah, and he takes Hagar, his his wife's servant, and comes with her and tries to conceive a child or to conceive the promise or the nation through her and God says this isn't the one this is not how I wanted to do it and this and here's Abram and if and if he had walked down those animals with God hmm. right away in 16 he would have had to been killed hmm. but I believe God put a deep sleep over him because he had mercy on him and he wanted the covenant to be based on his good work on God himself and that there would be nobody else who would be the author of, of the salvation of mankind, but God himself. And it's like God saying, I'm the writer of this covenant, Abram. And though you're not going to be as perfect to it, I am going to be faithful to it. And I'm going to be the one who saves man because of my faithfulness and my goodness. And so where Abram maybe, where he messed up in chapter 16, God was still faithful to it. And it's that's so comforting to know that when I mess up, God is faithful and God is not done with us. And praise God that Abram didn't stop there. But he continued on with God. And and so in chapter 17, as we get close to our, closing out our readings of the week, chapter 17, we see God come to Abram and change his name to mm -hmm. Abraham. And this is such a powerful moment. I, I just love the character of Abraham. I love him because you just see a human, like a man, just relatable. And yet he continues with God. And really in this chapter, God comes to him and it's been 24 years since he's received the promise that he heard about in chapter 12. Mm. And he's 99 years old and God visits him and tells him, you know, you're going to receive, uh, you're going to have a child this time next year. And it's almost like, what? But Abram, Abra, <laughs> Abraham at this time just says, okay, Lord, I believe you. You know, like he just with complete faith. And the scriptures always tell us, Abraham was always of man of faith. The Bible even says in Romans that his faith did not waver, but it actually increased, which is incredible. And so just for even our own lives, our faith can increase even when things don't look like they're supposed to. And things didn't look like that for him, but his faith increased. And God changed his name from Abram to Abraham, meaning from high father to now a father of a multitude. And that promise didn't just end with Abraham, but it was also with his wife, Sarai. And she changed her name, Sarai, to Sarah, meaning from my princess to the mother of nations. And God really confirmed and just told them that this time next year, the promise would come. And, and this is such a significant portion because right here is when we see, okay, it, God is going to move. And you think about all that time, all those moments in Genesis when Abram could have given up on the promise of God and just, you know, oh gosh, I can't imagine... But every time when he maybe felt weak, it seemed like God would always come and, and tell him something or give him a new fresh word saying the stars, the sand, the, you know, all the, the dust, all these different things to reaffirm with him 
and to encourage him to hold on to the promise. It seems like just God always was able, always came at the right moment for him. You know, it's the same with us in our own lives. Like when we are holding on to promises of God, God will always encourage us to continue on until that promise is fulfilled. And in Genesis 17, that's exactly what he does. He's, he's basically, mm-hmm. you have one more year. This time next year, you shall be, you know, that you shall have that air. So that's a recap of our first week. Y'all were very excited just even looking into next week. We'll be talking about Genesis 19 through 34. So we're going to continue to look at Abraham and his life and his family's life and just the continuation of how his family is blessed and how the rest of the world is blessed through his family. And we're very excited to dive into that. So next, this upcoming week, we're reading Genesis 19 through 34, and we hope you guys are excited about it as we are. Also, we just wanted to mention that at the end of every month, we are going to have a special Q&A podcast answering any of your questions. So if you're going through the reading at any point and you stop and have a question about something, please email any of those questions to felix.birch at fntchurch.org. Also, don't miss an episode. So how can you do that? If you don't want to miss an episode, make sure to subscribe however you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play. And if you would, please write a review for this podcast after you finish listening. Thanks so much for listening. For more FNT Bible Talk, be sure to subscribe and visit fntchurch.org for more information.